Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. I have an announcement for you uh, to share. Um, Last semester, we started a project, um, and these are some pictures of us doing this project last semester. Um, We are putting together weekend nutrition bags for Temple ISD through CTLC. And that just means that we are making some bags that they are sending home with students who um, are experiencing food insecurity in some way. And they send them with a a bag of goodies uh, for the weekend. And we helped tremendously last semester, and they asked us if we would do it again. So we are signing up um, to, to attend, to go together as a table group on a Wednesday. So we started yesterday, table one, table four. We had a great time together, um, got to know each other in a new way, and just shared um, fellowship together. As we did the project, we just put the bags together, and then we took a hundred of them to Thornton Elementary, our neighbors across the street, and, um, and we do that every, we'll do that every week. Um, leaders, if you would please sign up, the list is in the back tonight, today on that, on that wooden table. Some of you have already signed up, but I'm just giving you a reminder, and then you guys, whenever your leaders ask if you are available, I hope that you will be able to go and join in in the fun. It's a great project. Every Wednesday, 8.30, um, Carol Lynch, who's up here at Table 4, will be there to welcome you and to tell you exactly what to do. And she makes it very easy. So I'm excited about this project. All right. We are going to stand together. We're going to say our memory verse for this week. It's up on the screen. And then we are going to sing a song together. Uh, We try to do this each week. Uh, This particular uh, song that we're going to sing today is is a song that I want us to really sing a lot. So I'm expecting us to sing it every other week. (laughs) It's going to be our theme song for the study of Romans, and it's called One Gospel. So let's say this together, and then we'll, we'll learn it together, the song. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. Let's sing together. Just the same. 
stand in the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. We're so humbled, God, to, to draw near together to you, to worship you, to rest in you, to trust you more fully together. And we thank you for what you have taught us this week as we've opened your word and studied it on our own, as we've discussed it in our groups. Now, God, we're asking you to teach us something new um, in this time as well. Would you help us? Would you give us just eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand what you have for us. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, today um, we have a speaker who is a working woman. She's in our evening group. Her name is Rebecca Cagle, and so she is working today. And so she came in yesterday and recorded this lesson for us. And then she's going to give it uh, live tonight to our evening group. Uh, Rebecca um, has a unique perspective on this particular 
chapter in Romans because she is a history teacher at Providence Preparatory School, and she happens to be teaching Roman history this semester. So I said, well, there, there it is. You have to teach us. And so we are going to be privileged to hear from Rebecca. Now, she does not have a, a PowerPoint presentation, but she made a, a handout for us. So on your table, everybody's got one. You can fill this out as she goes. You will not see the answers up on the screen. Okay? And I know that's going to just really freak some of you out. But just listen and write in what you, what you, what you hear. And if you want, I will... Um, we will share this with you, and you can listen to it again, or I can ask Rebecca to give us an answer key later if we just really need it. All right, let's, let's uh, focus our attention on the screen. We'll listen to Rebecca. Good morning, ladies. My name is Rebecca Cagle, and it is a privilege to be here with you as we talk through the first chapter of Romans. Um, such an amazing chapter, such an amazing book written by an amazing man. My family and I, we have been here at TBC since 2001. My husband is Kevin, and my, we have two grown sons, Luke and Philip. I am a teacher, a middle school science and history teacher at Providence Preparatory. And uh, just love teaching, love, um, well, as some of you know, I really love history. Well, let's just jump right in. Is this not an incredible chapter? Uh, right? I mean, it's just like, wow, hits us right upside the head pretty quick. As we read and we reread the chapter, the passage, we saw in just a few short verses, Paul pointing us to salvation through this glorious gospel. He then just takes this, as he's going along, he then takes this sharp turn and plunges us right into a lengthy discourse of the depravity of man. Three times, over three different times, he tells us how God gave mankind up. He gave them up to the lust of their hearts, dishonorable passions, and a debased mind. What, what on earth? Why so much? Where are you going with this, Paul? Well, I, let's figure some of this out for ourselves here. There's a great study tool that I have used over the course of years um, that I've learned, and it's very helpful to me, and it is basically just asking the passage some questions. Um, what, what is going on here? So here's a few of the questions that I had for this passage as I read it. Wrath. What is it? What is wrath? There's an awful lot about wrath in this particular passage, and why? Why so much? And what is the cultural response to this particular passage? And then what do we do with it? So what? What do we do? So if you'll look with me first, we'll just start at verse 18. So read with me. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, we could ask a lot of questions here, but we're going to just stick with the one that um, I've first mentioned as what is the wrath of God? Well, the wrath of God is not the same as human anger. It's not even a righteous indignation. It is not irrational and an uncontrolled emotion that's seeking revenge. It's not malicious. It is not spiteful or vindictive. Now, many today in Christian, even in, within Christian circles, would say that 
the, the wrathful God is in the Old Testament, while the loving God, we see God as loving more in the New Testament. But I would actually say that that sits on the edge of heresy. That's, that's saying that there's two gods, um, really two pitted against each other. At the very least, it's a God that changes. And you have the one in the Old Testament that changed to the one in the New Testament. And then if that's the case, then how do you know that the one is not going to change back to the other? That's actually for another day of discussion. So the God, or God, not the God, but God in the New Testament and in the Old Testament is love. I, I totally agree with that. And he does love greatly. He loves his creation. He loves his children with absolute, abounding, steadfast, overflowing love. This is so true. But wrath, as many would like to say, is not the opposite of love. Those are not opposites of one another. What would be unloving, though, is for God to not be just. Yet his justice is displayed through his wrath. John Stott a theologian and pastor, has said it very well. God's wrath is his holy hostility towards all that is not evil or that is evil. His refusal to condone it or comes to term with it is his just judgment upon him. Well, if his holy wrath is his holy hostility towards all that's evil, then what is God's wrath against? Well, Stott tells us again. He already told us, right? Against all that's evil. But Paul takes it further. He goes much more in depth, very specific with what the wrath of God is against. Look back at 18 and we can see it clearly. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It is godlessness. That is the core. That's the morrow of the sin. It is doing without God, trying to get rid of him as if that were possible to do. They live as though God is dead, having absolutely no fear of God before their eyes. Chapter 3, coming up in just a few weeks. His wrath is not a simple godless atheism, like they didn't know that there was this God here, I mean, we read it where God has displayed and shown and proven himself from the beginning of time before the beginning of creation. We are without excuse. I mean, if I were to show you pictures of a famous artist um, over and over, time, multiple times of Michelangelo, works of Michelangelo, you would begin to recognize his work. And then if I flashed up a picture and said, is this picture one of Michelangelo? And it happened to be one of Picasso. You would be able to tell, no, I know the artist because of his work. God is known by his creation, by his work. So it's not a simple godless atheism, as many would like to say. Um, but it is instead against the godless wickedness of people who suppress the truth. The truth that God is real and definitely not dead. His wrath isn't against just people doing the wrong thing and oops, I'm sorry. Rather, it is they knew better, they know better, and they have made it a priority to live for themselves. 
not for the truth of God. It is stifling. It is pushing down. It is getting rid of the truth deliberately. It is stifling. It is pushing down the truth, especially when it butts up against our own self-centeredness. I liken it to having a beach ball. And you know when you try to push it under the water to hide it, to get it away, make it disappear, but then it pops right back up and oftentimes it will smack you right in the face. That's what truth is. So, God's wrath is his holy hostility against those who suppress the truth. But, how is this wrath revealed? How is it Paul show that this wrath is revealed? Did you notice something quite interesting here about how Paul does not talk about some final judgment that is like the form of coming in the form of a lightning bolt striking from heaven? Rather, Paul lays out that his anger is quietly at work, handing sinners over to themselves. Quietly at work. You see, there's a progression, and we can recognize this. There's a reverence. Knew the truth, but suppress it. Which then becomes idolatry, exchanging the truth for a lie, worshiping the created rather than the creator, which then becomes immorality, dishonorable passions, a debased mind. Alistair Begg, another wonderful pastor, says it very well with his Scottish accent. He says, a culture that doesn't do as it ought. He also says, the behavior isn't the root of the problem. Rather, behavior is the ugly fruit of idolatry. This is the progression, the downward spiral, the epic slippery slope. I feel pretty comfortable saying his wrath is his holy hostility against those who suppress the truth, therefore giving them over to the very thing they want themselves. Well, as we know, as we can experience and are experiencing, this passage is not very popular with our, or, or received well within our current culture. Not that it really was in the time of Moses, not that it was during the time of Jesus, and certainly not that it was during the time of Paul. This really gets at the heart of it, and we don't like it. I don't know about you guys, but the moral decline right now, today, is absolutely breathtaking. And when I say breathtaking, I'm not meaning it in a beautiful way. It is breathtaking. It's promoted, it's celebrated daily in books and papers, in the news, on podcasts, on the latest TikTok videos, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. It is celebrated everywhere, and it's disgusting. There's a myriad of godless behaviors that we could point to, but... I have just kind of one in specific. I mean, we could spend hours talking about it, but I've got one in specific, uh, one specifically that I want to talk about. And I've, I've actually seen the domino effect that it's having within the church and at large, with the church at large, and it will continue if we don't recognize it for its ever so subtle truth suppressing. Currently, there is a new reformation through an organization called Revoice. Their quest is to rewrite the Bible and 2,000 years worth of teaching on what is concerning marriage, sex, and homosexuality. Their argument, very subtle. They say 
The kind of same-sex behavior that is condemned in the Bible is not what modern LGBTQs practice, which is instead a very loyal, loving same-sex relation. They insist it, isn't, it has been wrongly interpreted, causing LGBTQ harm. They say that the ancient same-sex behavior that Paul is referencing here in Romans 1, as well as in 1 Corinthians, was exploitive, abusive, and oppressive. With that view in mind, they say that it is not that kind of homosexuality. And they claim that the Bible, therefore, doesn't prohibit homosexuality, per se. Only abusive forms of homosexuality, like pederasty, master-slave, exploitation, promiscuity, rape, victimization, etc. Remember my analogy about the beach ball? Well, history is going to act like our beach ball here, and it would actually say otherwise. There is a range throughout history of homosexual relations. Just going to tell you. Let's start long before Paul. Let's start with Plato, 400s BC. Plato himself writes about the unnatural relations that women have with women. Philip of Macedonia, Alexander the Great's father, who is also BC era, Philip of Macedonia had two male lovers. Many of the Roman emperors were homosexuals themselves. I've even heard one number that 13 of 18, 13 of 18 were homosexuals. Tiberius, for example, he's the one who succeeded Augustus. He indulged indiscriminately all of his sexual desires. He even had an island set aside for his pleasures. He was emperor also, mind you, during the time of Jesus. There's Caligula, there's Claudius, there's Nero, and then there's even a Hadrian, who was a really good emperor. Hadrian, one of the greats. Hadrian and his lover, who was named Antonius, and he loved him dearly. And Antonius died relatively young and unexpectedly, and it just shook Hadrian up. It devastated him. He named a city after him. He built a temple in honor of him. He deified him and made him a god and had him worshipped. And then the games, the Olympic games, were played in his honor. No, Paul was no stranger to the range of homosexual lifestyles. Yet, these reformers are making distinctions that were absolutely foreign to Paul. That wasn't his point. That was not what he was trying to do. This homosexuality versus that homosexuality. Paul, nor anywhere within Scripture, gives a hint of such an idea. As for the biblical misinterpretation of the word homosexual, we could spend a long time talking about that one, but instead I want to just point you guys to a very, very good resource that will do it much more justice than what I can do here. And it's a website, standtoreason.org, standtoreason.org. And on the website, you need to look for Alex Schleiman, S-H-L-E-M-O-N, Alex Schleiman, and write in 1946 film. There's a documentary out that is focused on the time of 1946 and saying it was at this particular time when the word homosexual was misinterpreted. 
That's what this whole documentary is about. And he defeats that. He, he is able to um, unwrap the fallacies of that particular argument so much better than I could do. So I highly recommend that to you. StandToReason.org, Alex Schleyman, 1946 film. Maybe you have said at one time or another, if only there was still prayer in school, we wouldn't be in this situation. If only we had the right politician in the office, we wouldn't be in this predicament. If only blank were in place. But let's, let's be clear, ladies. We're here in this cultural swamp that we are, not because we don't have the right legislation, legislature, laws, the right educational pedagogy at all. That's not why we're here in this situation. We are here because of the fall. That's why we're in this mess. The suppressing of truth is happening all around us, all the time, in every generation, in the hearts of all men and women, and will continue unless God steps in. So what do we do? What do we do now? Well, we're looking around us, and we have found that our boat is in the middle of a cesspool. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but I certainly have in the last few years, that I'm in my small little boat, and it is a stinky mess around me. And what on earth do I do? Is there any hope? Well, I've got four things for you. First, we should praise God. We should praise God after reading this particular passage because he chose you, he chose me, and he has saved us from his wrath. He has chosen us and has saved us from himself, from his wrath. The power of God broke through our hard, wicked hearts, took our unrighteousness, and gave us his instead, the great exchange. That should cause us right then and there to fall on our knees in absolute praise. Second thing, let's confess any arrogance that we might have. Let's not be myopic and point fingers at the homosexual part of this particular passage, this homosexual sin, which is a big deal. Don't get me wrong, it's a big deal. But then we ignore the remainder of the chapter, verses 29 through 31, that lists a lot of sins. Look at those with me. I'm just going to pick some out. All manner of unrighteousness, all manners of unrighteousness, coveting, envious, strife, deceitful, gossips, Slanderers, haughty, boastful, hello Facebook, faithful, faithless, heartless, ruthless, hello. There's not one of us here, not one of us here that isn't guilty, unable to escape the condemnation, the rightful wrath of God, the just wrath of God. I've got two verses for you. Titus 3. 3. Titus 3, 3. Listen, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, 
passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Did you catch that? For we ourselves were once. So we can praise God. We can confess. And the third thing is that we can admonish. We can admonish others with respect. Look at Titus 3, verse 2. Be ready in every good work to speak evil of no one, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. As Gary used to say, all means all. To be courteous towards all people. Why? Because we once were those people. Redeeming of a society, that's not what Jesus has commissioned us to do. Instead, we are told to go and make disciples. We're not to be redeeming society. Redeeming of society takes place instead when individuals are redeemed as they are saved through encountering the true gospel, which is what we're mandated to go proclaim. So we praise, we confess, we admonish, and lastly, we go proclaim. We proclaim because there is great hope in the midst of what we are in. There is great hope, ladies, against that black backdrop of man's depravity that Paul went on and on about. Against that is displayed the beautiful diamond of God's amazing grace and his mercy, the good news of his gospel for you, for me, for anyone that will hear. This is what Paul was doing. This is what Paul was writing about. This is what he's written for us. This is the good news that you and I don't deserve because that's us. We are in that list, ladies. What amazing hope we have. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Oh God, how good you are to give us your righteousness. To give us the hope of the gospel to a people that don't deserve it. You are so good, so kind. Help us to praise you and remember these things, to fall on our knees and praise you often and always, and to confess quickly when we find ourselves making ourselves greater than we are, than we should be, and forgetting that we once were. 
Help us to encourage and admonish one another and pull each other along as we are feeling stuck maybe some days or disgusted or frustrated or wringing our hands because we've gotten our eyes off of you. And may we proclaim loudly, gently, courageously, lovingly the hope that is of the gospel. It's your name I Well, thank you guys. Um, that was we actually ended uh, early today. That means you can stay around and visit, even if you have kids over in childcare. Just head over at eleven thirty to pick them up. And I hope you have a great week in Romans chapter two. See you next week.